1: Here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Run this stupid thing. It's been a while. Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. I am Dale Luganville. Thank you for joining me. So it's been a, a while since I've done a weekend recap and rant. Uh, I know I said I was just gonna try to do a better job of this while I was out in the Dakotas uh guiding for spring snows. And honestly, I had I actually had time where I could have, but apparently. Internet in Lake Preston, South Dakota, is um, highly unreliable. So there's that, and then I uh, tried using just like the hotspot on my phone, but you know how the Verizon Unlimited works. It's limited unlimited, so it didn't take long to tap that out to where they started throttling me down, and throttled it down so low that it just kept... Popping off the the internet and I had to keep restarting it. So I was like, "Screw it, this isn't this just isn't happening." So and we were supposed to get Wi Fi at the house that we were staying at. And that never happened. <sighs> I don't know what you can expect the whole time like the thing was being worked on. There's like one whole room that's like literally padlocked off because there's like a hole in the roof and there's bats in there or some shit. <laughs> and uh, what else? There is uh. The plumbing had backed up. We had literal um, human excrement in the bathtub. That was super fun. Um, The refrigerator worked-ish. Kind of, you know, maybe in the face of a heat wave, it would have been better than nothing. Um, But that was basically a glorified cooler. Kept things at a nice chilly about 63 degrees. So, yeah, you're better off just keeping your beer outside. Because the weather sucked the entire time I was there. I mean, it this has been, and I see I just looked at the forecast, this has been the windiest spring I can ever remember and it's not even close. Uh, you know, every season you can kind of expect you know one or two good wind storms or something in the Dakotas in the spring that that's pretty normal. But it was like all of the time. You know, like when you look at the Weather Channel app, they give you like the little windy symbol for your daytime. It means it's going to be like over 20, sustained, gusting to God knows what. Yeah, it was like that all of the time. I think there was like maybe three days in the entire month that didn't have the wind symbols, and there was one actual calm day. And I remember one nice warm day where it was like 68 degrees or some shit like that, and then that was it. Then it was crappy and cold pretty much the entire time. The only saving grace is uh, it was a good year for birds, for killing birds. I did did pretty good this year, um, pretty consistent. (laughs) The first two days I showed up was not good to South Dakota. So I actually started in uh, Mound this year because, well, there wasn't any. When I I had wrapped up the Minnesota Maid, Um, tournament ice fishing series there Uh, pretty much the very next day I headed out and there was no birds to be had everything was frozen as frozen could be in South Dakota so there was really no point in going there instead I headed down to mound kind of started my started my season there and uh, it was it was cold down there as well so I got to uh, play with some adult geese super super frustrating super fun I mean it's always a good show but managing client expectations when you're dealing with adults is just, it's terrible because the majority of your people, unless they're return customers and they know what they're getting, you know, they're, they're, they're doing this spring snow thing because they're watching YouTube channels and they're watching, you know, 100, 200, 300 bird of rain rainouts because they're hunting the very first day of hunting in Northern Saskatchewan, or maybe if you're lucky down in Arkansas or something when there's, where there's a shit ton of birds, but it just ain't like that. <laughs> you know, we see like quarter, literally a quarter of a million birds and some clients aren't happy about it. You're like, I don't, uh. and I'm talking like a hundred, like a quarter million birds that flew over our spread, not just seen like it had been probably half million or more. Cause at one point in time there was like 1.8 million birds on the refuge there. And yeah, you kill four because it's just how it goes. I mean, it's, it's adults. And you got the whole bird flu thing mixed in there, and there's all sorts of hyperbole surrounding that. I keep hearing, oh, there's dead birds everywhere. I'm like, yeah, I saw a few. I had a few weird ones, you know, acting weird, but I think for the most part, they're fine. You know, it's probably like. Uh, people and sickness you know like i mean you can use this latest pandemic i mean the vast majority of people fine and a few people died it's unfortunate but it happened i think that's the same thing with this bird flu with snow geese is that it's you know most of them are going to be fine and a few of them have died you know if you find if you think about it there's 1.8 million birds on squaw creek and maybe you find a 100 dead that's not a very big percentage <laughs> that's, i mean 100 birds is a lot of birds sure Percentage-wise, not very much. So that's kind of the thing. We've all been kind of speculating because the birds were just kind of acting a little different this year, uh, favorably. Instead of like going up and around decoys, they were actually kind of working over decoys, which was nice. And we're like, "Well, is that because they're sick?" I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't look a. I don't look a, a gift snow goose in the mouth. How about that? Like, I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna take it. <laughs> I was out and so then when I went to South Dakota for like the first five days I didn't, I didn't have any clients so I had nothing to do but set my spread and brush in a brand new A-frame blind so I took my time and brushed that thing in super good I mean it looked ugh, dude it was money and so I, I get to the field that I always hunt and like last last year we had this thing set up and I was just down by the street and there was a big fence line there grass and the, the thing just like disappeared it was awesome. Well, those trees and that grass-lined field edge does not exist anymore. There is just two big piles of dirt where those things used to be. So clearly the farmer decided to take that stuff off so he could, I don't know, plant an extra four rows of corn for maybe 80 yards. Seems like a lot of money for not a lot out of it. But hey, what the hell do I know? I I'm I'm probably I'm probably an idiot and probably makes sense. I don't know, or he did it because he just want wanted to not plant or harvest around it or something. But uh, I don't know. He's still kind of a ditch there, so I think he still kind of has to go around it. Maybe not. No, we'll see. Anyways, he's got that thing all tiled up and drained. When I first started hunting that years ago, there was this huge pond there. Basically, it was awesome. All sorts of ducks would go in there. It was great. Well that's not there anymore because of the tiling took care of that and then now he took care of that with the trees and all that so anyways the point I was getting to so I had not done this yet but I had heard that with a an a-frame line or panel blind, you can just pretty much set them up anywhere just out in the middle of the field as long as they're grassed in really good so that's what I did I just kind of went up I put it kind of on the the hill slope the tall hill in the field so that like from you know, set for like a south wind. So if you're coming, if you're a bird coming from, you know, into the wind from the north, I kind of put it so that the top of the blind didn't go above the top of the hill, so you couldn't really skyline it. Do I? Does that really matter? Probably not. But again, I had nothing but time, so let's give it a shot, right? So that's what I did. Anyways, I, I brushed this thing in, took multiple trips with the with my uh my wheeler and I had, you know, my big otter sled there and I'd go and I'd cut down a bunch of blind material and I'd bring it from the, the C R P patch and I'd bring it back out and it took quite a few trips of that. As we all know, anybody who has ever stubbled in a blind knows that it takes way, way, way more blind material than you think it does. And then uh Yeah, I kinda had it pressed in with this like tall, somewhat like tumbleweedy kinda looking stuff. And it looked pretty good, but it was definitely like color change from like the corn that was there and so there was all this like kind of taller, maybe maybe a foot tall like really bright yellow uh, broadleaf kind of grasses so I cut a bunch of those and then I did like the lower rung of of uh, stubble straps with that over what I had and that really blended into the corn really really good again do I think it matters probably not but I can tell you this it looked super awesome when I was done big canopy like it was kind of a pain in the ass to stand up and shoot out of honestly because i had it brushed over so well but that means the birds can't see in which i had to constantly keep reminding clients because they just kept breaking things off so they could see out and it's like you know why that's there right i know you want to see out but that means they can see in, kind of defeating the purpose of this whole thing um but, uh, most most of them are really good there's really only one particular client that just like you can At the end of the day, you could tell exactly where he was sitting because he had this swath open right in front of him and right behind him. It's like, oh, my God. So I had to go and repair that throughout the course of the season because he had that all wrecked. Um, But like I said, the birds were working good. And, uh, you know, I just kind of put the sound and the movement, had some flyers out where I wanted birds hopefully to finish. And that was pretty much everything we shot was right where I wanted them, you know, kind of no matter what the wind direction was. So it was – it worked out pretty good, you know, when you're running a, a permanent spread like that and you got your A-frame staked in so it doesn't blow away in the wind. <clears throat> At least that's the idea. Um, you know, you can't really move it very easily. So kind of just relied on the movement and the sound, and it it worked pretty good. It really did. Although the first two days, people were shooting stuff on our other fields to the west, and I hadn't seen shit. I was just getting ready to say, you know what, screw it. I'm moving this whole thing. I'm not hunting this field again because last year it wasn't that great. Last year it was like one of the lower fields for just seeing birds, and I was like, no, 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 we ain't doing this again, homie. So I was like getting ready to pull a pin, and then I started seeing birds, start shooting birds, and then it was steady. In fact, it was like one of the one of the better fields around for a while until it got kind of the tail end of the migration, and then it dropped off again. And then it was definitely time to pull stakes and and go somewhere else. So. I did do that. But that's like over the course of, I don't know, three, four weeks, whatever whatever that time frame was. I don't even remember anymore. I think about four weeks. We got one band this year, which was really, really awesome. Uh, it was a little Rossi band. Uh Sailed that thing. I had to walk all the way over. The funny part about that band story is that in almost every client group will ask this question, like, how many bands do you shoot? Or do you ever shoot any bands? And I just got done telling everybody, like, Yeah, you know, get like a band a year or something like that. It's not crazy. And I go, and honestly, like, chances are just not that great right now because with the pandemic, you know, they haven't really been doing banding for the last two years. And now we're into these juvie birds. So they're like two, three years old. So it's just like the amount of them is just, there's just not going to be many of them. I mean, like, you're, the chance is way down. Like, this is probably the worst time ever. Like, your worst chance of getting a band ever and then like fifteen minutes later be shooting in his flock and sure as shit that bird had to make a liar out of me but I've never been so happy to be a liar. So that's fun. Yeah cool that uh, was banded in Nunavut and what was it? Two thousand eighteen. I think I think it was four years old if I remember right, the bird. So that was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. Everybody was super excited about that. Um the very first bird I harvested out of that field was while I was like the first day I was like setting up, but get out there. No, it was the first day. Might've been the second. Day. No, it was like the, it was. Don't remember what day it was, but it was, um, I'd been there a few days cause I'd first just started working on the blind and he hadn't even sent any decoys out. And then it was the day I started setting decoys out, whatever that was, might've been Wednesday. And then, uh, cause I got there on a, a Monday. And so I, had was putting decoys out and as I pulled up to the field that day I saw this white thing out in the field mixed in with some ducks. I pulled the binoculars up, sure enough it's a a snow goose and I'm watching him and I'm like seems to be okay. Must be one of those sick ones. But then it his he had one wing that just wasn't sitting right. So I don't know if he was he had the bird flu or he was just a cripple and he had a, a bad bad wheel, bad wing, bad engine. Um but I'm like, ah, maybe I'll take care of him eventually. So I just went to work and started putting decoys out. And I had, I don't know, however many out. And I was like, I look over and there's that stupid bird. He had walked up the hill, not kind of into the spread, but he was like kind of on the edge of the spread. And I was like, Oh, what the heck? So I, I walked, I didn't even have my gun out there with me. So I walk kind of start walking up to him. Of course he sees me and he starts walking. He tries to fly and he can't. So I was like, Oh, his wing is screwed. So I was like, well, it's a foot race. So <laughs> I just, I chase him down and uh, you know they do. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to chase down a wounded goose, but they run, run, run until they realize they're not going to outrun you, and then they just go, they go flat to the ground, like oh, just, if I stay still, they can't see me, um, which obviously doesn't work. And yeah, so I was able to grab that one, and the very so I was I was plus one birds without firing a shot before my season even really officially began. So that was that was uh, interesting to say the least. And then, uh, yeah, was able to harvest a few more birds before I had some clients. So that was that was a lot of fun. Made some uh, goose tacos while I was out there a couple times. Uh, I also made so we were talking about the way I've described multiple times on this show about how to make my goose tacos. That the way we prepare the meat, you know, cut it in quarter-inch strips with the grain. Basically flash frying it, letting it meat rest. I was like, you could really do this with almost anything. So I had the idea to do um, make stroganoff, goose stroganoff, which I did, and it turned out as good as I thought it was. Like that was really good. But the main point is like, just by doing that method, like quickly cooking your meat, you can make any dish you could possibly imagine. Whether it's like I said, stroganoff, you could add that to. You know, you could just have, like, a red sauce, like a pasta red sauce kind of a thing. You could do fettuccine sauce. You could do, like, a a, a mac and cheese, a goose mac and cheese, you, uh, lasagna. Literally, you could, anything you could possibly think of. You just put it over rice with a, make a sauce for it, or, you know, man, the options are endless because basically just a little salt, pepper, and some garlic, fry that, flash fry it in butter, let it rest, boom, you're done. And then just go about making your, the rest of your meal and then you just add that meat in at the end warming up you're good to go um so yeah experiment with that that was kind of fun uh what else do i got um i think i finished i don't know if i wrapped up my ice fishing season uh but in case i didn't um i think we finished sixth overall i don't remember what we finished on the last event but there was a couple of monster bags brought in on Gull Lake. Gull Lake was a beast. That lake is a very large lake, for one. Um, Travel conditions were not great, so if you weren't able to, or you didn't have or weren't able to line up a snowmobile, you were basically screwed or very limited as to where you could fish. Um, I think less than half our field, or maybe about half our field, maybe fished that day even. It was... It was tough, and uh, we were freaking out. Didn't have our crappies for the longest time. Finally got the crappies, but then couldn't find our bluegills, which is one of those flip-flop things where I'm like, well, I think we'll get bluegills, no problem, but it's the crappies what are whatever, worrying about me, and then come game day, we get our crappies, and I can't, we can't fill our bluegill bag. But it was kind of crazy. Bubba, uh, Timmy and Bubba came in with just a giant sack. I can't remember what the weight was, but it was like 12-plus pounds or 13 or something. I don't remember. It was. They had just giant crappies. I mean, giants. And their smallest one, I think they said, was 13 inches or something. Just ridiculous. And then um looked like they were going to run away with it. And then Dan and Eddie go to the scales and edge them out. They also had a monster sack. It's like, holy crap, two giant record-breaking uh, bags in one tournament. So that was pretty exciting. So congratulations to them on that. And then uh, Chris and Timmy, they won the whole shebang. So they had, they had consistently been like in the top five every event and that's pretty much what it takes so they congratulations to them uh super happy for them they they definitely work their butts off they drill a lot of holes do a lot of camera work um yeah they earned it they they do the work they're one of the teams out there that uh, are very well deserving of that title so congratulations to them And then I thought, well, that's probably my, that's probably the last for ice fishing for me. But I I was almost thinking um, this weekend I was going to go up. And then I just was like, no, I just, I'm going to tell you that wind out in the Dakotas broke me. Like it really did. Like my buddy Austin, he's, he was hunting in like Southern North Dakota when I was leaving. And I was thinking like, well, he's, I'm right here. He's up there. I could just run up there and hunt with him for a few days. Just. Fun hunt, you know, no guiding, just buddy hunt, be great. And I was looking at the forecast, of course, it's supposed to be windy for like the next three days still. And I just was like imagining myself in the field in that wind yet again. And I was just like, no, no, no interest. I've, I've done, done this for I don't know how many days straight, always windy. I'm just, I'm, I'm just over it, just over it. So yeah, I decided not to do that. Of course. He's got the horseshoe up his butt. They end up shooting a, a a banded blue, which I mean I don't have that many bands, but I haven't. I have got like two snow bands and a Ross band. So I would still like to get a blue goose band. So I could have been a part of that, but I wasn't. And then he's hunting by himself the other day and shoots a blue phase Ross, which for those of you who don't know is extremely rare. What makes it even worse is that he's already shot one before. Like, I don't know, the first or second year of him ever snow goose hunting, he shoots a, a blue phaser Ross and then shoots another one. Uh, some people go their whole life without ever seeing one. Like, uh, I don't know, me? so And I'm hunting, like, every day? Like this, That's just not fair. He's just got that. He's just lucky. I don't know what else to say. Uh, some people are lucky, and some people aren't. Mm, he falls in the, the is category, and I am in the not category. Um, but it it looks like the season's still going strong for those that want to fight through it. Um, big, big snowstorm coming, or so they say here, like the next couple days, like <clears throat> over a foot, 18 inches, two feet of snow in some places, like giant. So that's going to really screw some things up because I think the vast majority of the birds are probably in. Well, the adults are passive. The adults, I think, have moved on into either northern North Dakota or Saskatchewan. And there's a bunch of juvies like in the central and southern part of North Dakota. And with the way the weather was today, bright blue bird skies, warm, I guarantee a bunch made a move. But I would not be surprised that storm hits that they get pushed back south. So that can get, and the last forecast I saw didn't look like, there were spots in northern South Dakota that weren't supposed to get as much. So if a guy played his cards right, headed out there, if you can go out midweek, and you keep an eye on that forecast, if you can get on that line where you're not getting dumped on, you could be setting yourself up for a pretty epic day. I've I've seen some amazing hunts with that exact kind of storm. you got birds that are still going to want to push up from the south, and then all of a sudden the birds that are in the north have to go back south. Yeah, it can, get pretty, it can get pretty crazy. So if you have that opportunity, uh, this midweek would be a good time to head out. And it doesn't look like, you know, where we do have ice in Minnesota, like up Fergus Falls, probably Brainerd. I mean, that I, there's, I mean, hell, Mille Lacs still has a shit ton of ice on it. So I don't know how far you have to go north to, to find ice. But after today, it looks like that ice isn't going anywhere. Anytime soon, you might even make some ice after that storm goes through and it gets cold. Um, So, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a wild hair at my ass and go ice fishing this weekend, but I kind of want to break the long rods out and do something. Or, I might just work straight through the weekend because the weekend following that, a week from this Thursday, I'm headed to Florida. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, Joel and I are going to Florida, and we are going to finally meet up with um, David Pekacek, old paycheck down there. Um, if you've been listening to the show, I've done a few episodes with him. He is a Minnesota boy, moved to Florida, chasing his dream of being a bass fishing guide, and that's what he's doing down there. So, um, pretty stoked. Been wanting to get down there and fish with him for a long time. Finally making that happen. So, hope the fishing gods are on our side. And, and you know, I'm kind of like, my realistic wish is like an 8-pounder. I think that's doable, you know? I mean, anything over uh, 6 is going to break my PB, no problem. Um, so like an 8 would be like stellar, but it's Florida. So you know that double-digit possibility is there, and the lake we're going to is supposed to be known for it. So we shall see. Pretty stoked about that. And then also I'll uh, probably do some saltwater fishing when I'm there. Just surf fishing, you know, off the jetties. I'm on that on doing a charter or anything like that. Um, so that could be, that could be interesting and fun. We'll see. I always just wing it when I get down there, Stop at the bait shop, see what's going on, what the bite is. Um, I did get one of the tips I got was a $100 gift card to Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops so on my way back from the Dakotas. I hit the, the Cabela's and Rogers and actually stocked up. I bought a, I got a uh, new saltwater reel, which I've been wanting to get anyways. I kind of want to build up my own saltwater gear arsenal for when I go on these trips or when I go see my brother in South Carolina just it's always nice having your own stuff you know you you just you know what you have you just you kind of get used to your own tools if you will and uh yeah so I've been kind of wanting to do that so I bought a new saltwater reel um not a super crazy expensive one um but not super dirt cheap either and then uh stocked up on spoons and I bought like a bunch of spoons. I took a picture and sent it to Joel and he's like, geez, you think we need that many? I said, or no, you planning on losing that many? I was like, well, no, not really, but might lose one or two. And if you lose, if I only have one of like the colors I want in the sizes I want, and I lose the one that's working, then you're screwed. So i am like, I kind of needed three of each kind each color and size, (laughs) he goes, and this is why we're friends. So, I mean, yeah, it seemed a little bit overkill, but, I mean, they're not going to spoil, right, as long as I, you know, rinse them off and treat them well. I got one of those edge boxes, supposed to have little moisture thingies in there, so hopefully that will reduce rusting, and I just, you know, I will rinse them off with fresh water before I put them away. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to try that. That should be fun because I was there. I mean, this is many, many, many moons ago. And um, I caught a lot of fish in the surf and on the jetties, just doing that. I, I'm going to grab my uh, – I got a, like a salmon steelhead rod. It's a like a four- or five-piece, ten-footer. Be easy to pack, easy to travel with. I'm just going to use that. Uh, that's what I used last time, and it worked, worked great. I'm, I'm, those spoons I bought were the crocodile spoons. And, man, you can bomb those things a mile. Like it, this they cast so good. And then when I get down there, I'll probably pick up some jigs and some, you know, some husky jerks or something in the with the stainless steel hooks and in the the uh, saltwater bait fish colors because they didn't really I would have bought some there at Cabela's, but they didn't, uh, they didn't have any in old Rogers, Minnesota. It turns out they don't carry much for saltwater stuff. So <laughs> shocker. Uh, yeah. So I'll pick up some of that when I'm down there. Um, would kind of be cool, but i I'm going to look and see if there's a place that rents equipment. I don't know. Maybe they do because I'd like to do that, like, shark fishing from the beach. But that requires, like, I'm not just going to run out and buy a $600 setup for shark fishing for two days. That's ridiculous. Then then what am I going to do with it? So maybe I'm hoping that there's a place you can rent them down there maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I'll explore that when I get down there. But I'm just looking forward to uh, being warm. I finally just I mean it was nice today, but then it's getting shitty the rest of the week and I just looked at the weather forecast for where we're going down there and it looks beautiful. Right hovering right around eighty every day. No rain so far in the forecast. I, I realize it's like two weeks away almost so we're just under two weeks away, so it's you know, that could easily change fifty thousand times between here and then. But as of right now, weather looks pretty damn good. So uh pretty stoked for that. So, yeah, I might just uh, work this weekend and make some money. But I say that until the weekend rolls around and then I'm, like, itching to go do something. So, I don't know. We'll see. Then hopefully, uh, man, I come back. We got turkey hunting. So, I feel pretty good about my chances of getting a turkey this year. And it's because I'm going to have to use a gun. Now I'm not using a gun. I want to go on record as saying I'm not using a gun so that I can get the monkey off my back, and finally harvest my first turkey. For those of you paying attention, I really like to shoot my bow. However, I found out the last day of bow season last year that my shoulder is really screwed up, and I can't pull my bow back without being in excruciating pain. So, and I still haven't fixed that. My option is shotgun, or not, or or nothing. But I do need to get that handled before next fall because I do intend on uh bow hunting next fall. Actually, there's some, there's, 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 there's stuff, there's stuff in the works for this fall. Like, so like some pretty kind of exciting things. I don't want, I don't want to tease it too much, but there's bear hunts involved and deer and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna give too much. There's just too much can still happen. i don't want to pump it up and then suddenly it doesn't happen, but it's looking pretty good and it's, uh, I don't. Know, there could be cameras involved. I'm just saying. That, that, that there's there's stuff in the works. Could hopefully be a pretty exciting fall. So bottom line is, I need to get this shoulder fixed. Um, Otherwise, I'm going to be really sad if I can't bow hunt. And that's and and just need to get it fixed in general. It's really tired of it hurting for no good reason. I'm sure I needed rotator cup and I don't want to get surgery I don't want to get the cortisone shots everybody's telling me not to do that so I got to look into probably some like physical therapy and then uh, maybe like uh, I don't know what's called a PEP or whatever the shit is where they spin your blood and shove it back in you that's supposed to work pretty good and then if that doesn't work there's actual like stem cell stuff you can do that works good so I don't know that's what I'm going to look into that shit not that any of you care Um, but yeah, I need to get that fixed. So I think that catches us all up. Sorry for the uh not releasing anything for however long. That's that. So my rant. Um speaking of turkey huntings turkey hunting. So this year I'm perusing social media and apparently someone's gonna have to like set me straight on this. And maybe I'll get into this with uh I'm gonna be on um the SmackDown Outdoors podcast Tuesday the twelfth. It's the 11th today, uh, so I'm going to be on Doug's show. So check that out. It'll be live on YouTube and Facebook, I believe. I don't know if he, he's pretty frustrated with Facebook, so I don't know if he's bailed on that completely. But it's either Facebook or YouTube. So if you aren't subscribed to SmackDown Outdoors podcast on YouTube, go subscribe or follow or whatever you do on YouTube. Go do that. Anyways. So maybe I'll talk to him about that. He, he might know a little bit more. But I was under the impression that the standard way of hunting turkeys was to put out a decoy, call in your bird, kill your bird, right? That whole interaction thing looks pretty fun, looks pretty awesome. But apparently there is a element of turkey hunters out there that uh, looks down on that style of hunting. Because I saw some comments like, well, nice bird, but why don't you join the ranks of us real turkey hunters and just, I don't even know what, I guess they just run around and they hear a bird, they call to a bird, they sit next to a tree and they get the bird to come in without any decoys, I guess. That's real turkey hunting in air quotes, I guess. I don't know. Personally, to me, the coolest way to get them looks like what they call reaping, where you hide behind a big fan or a decoy and you like crawl right out to them and then you drop it and shoot them and you get this like cartoon big eye look on their face. they like, oh shit, that ain't a turkey. Too late, you're dead. That looks really fun. Like I, I could easily be talked into doing something like that. That just looks like exciting. So I just, I don't know, turkey hunting, turkey hunting hasn't really grabbed me, but then I haven't really course I try to do it the hardest way I go to public land and I bow hunt so I mean because I'm mostly an idiot but I don't know that's just kind of how I want to do it this year with the shotgun we'll see and uh, might hopefully get on some private land this year so if that happens you know maybe I'll get to actually work these birds because it seems it's always been weird to me I feel like it's something that I should like you know, that interacting, the calling to the birds and the birds reacting to you. It's a lot like waterfall hunting in that way. So you think that would be something that I could be really, really into, but I guess I just haven't really experienced that yet where I'm, you know, seeing the toms out there strutting and spitting and drumming and doing all that stuff. Um, I guess I just haven't really experienced that yet. Maybe when I do, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll be right there with you turkey fanatics. But as of right now, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to do it, but we'll, We'll see how it goes. Although I usually bow hunt, which is like I can go whenever I want all season long, which is super awesome. But now I'm gun hunting, so I gotta pick my weekends, right? Something like that. I gotta look into it. I don't know. Again, I'm gonna talk to Doug about this. And we'll see. it'll be a good time to get in the whole debate of a, a real turkey hunter, which I already pretty much know what his opinion's gonna be. He's like, do it however you want to do it, which I kinda agree. Um I guess that spills over. It's just you know that into the like not shooting a four corn buck or rifle hunting versus bull hunting versus crossbows are not really bows. And there's just, everybody's got a damn opinion about how they think you should do your hunting, which I think is complete and utter bullshit. Hunt the way you want to. If it's legal, knock yourself out. And then oh, everybody gets on all this beyond their point restrictions and all the shit that comes with that. And it's like, okay, but that's what you want deer hunting to be. That's, you're not everybody. Everybody, like, some people don't care about big, giant bucks and racks. Sure, I'm sure they would be excited if they did see one and shot one, but it's ultimately not their goal. Like a lot of people that go out fishing, right? Some people just want to go out and catch a meal, and they're like, man, if I did catch a state record, that'd be amazing. But that's not, like, their main driving thing. They don't operate their life trying to, or lobby for the state to, Make more giant fish. They just—they're happy. They want enough fish so that they can have a meal. There's a lot of you know, catch and grease fishermen out there, and there's a lot of catch and release fishermen out there. So I don't know. That's uh, we're we'll we'll explore all that uh, with Doug on the Smackdown Outdoors podcast tomorrow night six o'clock live, YouTube and and or Facebook. So go check that out. So. Coming up, we are back on track. I've got uh, a Waterfall Wednesday that Nick recorded by himself that I wasn't able to upload. So I've been sitting on that one for a couple weeks. So that'll come out this week. I have a um, a regular episode coming up. I got two of those in the can, actually. The one's kind of cool. Is this a uh, um, Native American gentleman uh, out in the Pacific Northwest. And there's, for those of you, this is cool. I've been, I've been following this. I reached out to him and, and he agreed to be on. Um, you might be aware of like the, the salmon and trout populations are just crashing out there because all the seals and sea lions are just like, they're just, they're out of control and they're eating everything. Well, the natives can hunt them and they're, I don't know if they're supposed to legally, but they're doing it. And, um. It's kind of all about that. So it's really interesting, and they're lobbying really hard to um, make it legal for them to actually, like, sell the fat and the meat and bones and the hide of these seals and sea lions. Um, Could be a whole industry for them. And it needs to happen because there really are way, way, way too many pinnipeds as they're called, uh, the seals and sea lions out there, and and the damage that they're doing on the salmonid, the finfish populations up there, they're just they're just brutalizing them. So it's a hard-fought race because you know how people feel about seals and sea lions. They're cute and they got big eyes and big eyelashes. So it's that's going to be a tough fight. But at some point, they're going to have to choose. You know, everybody likes orcas too, and there's a uh, certain pods of orcas that are that are just salmon eaters. And so their population is dwindling because the population of salmon is so far down. And you're going to have to make up your mind. So this is like my argument for like animal rights people. So you're saying no culling of seals and sea lions, but screw those orcas. Because that's basically your choosing at this point. So if you're okay with that, then I guess you're okay with it. But And you can't say let nature take its course because... Nature just doesn't enter into it it anymore. We have dams. We have locks and systems that control everything. And they put in these fish ladders to try to help the fish. Well, the seals are smart enough to know they just camp out by those fish ladders. And it's just like a buffet with a conveyor belt on it bringing fish to them. That's basically what it is. And they're just crushing it. So, anyways, we talk all about that. And uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, we get into that. He's uh, very much into it. I think he does like tours or some shit. I don't know. So we, we, we get, we get into it. Uh, very respectful. Um, cause I personally don't really believe in Sasquatch. He very much believes in it. He had a very unique take on it, which was kind of cool. So look forward to that this year or this year, this week, that's coming up too. And then the following week, I got one uh, ready to rock and roll with, uh, Cody puller who was out guiding with me this spring. Um, we always do one every year, Kinda of had the last one I think we entitled Big Decisions because he wasn't sure if he was gonna do the waterfall hunting thing. He thought he might be doing the billfish thing somewhere else, cause he he billfishes in the summer and then waterfall hunts in the winter, but he thought maybe he would just be fishing year round. So he wasn't quite sure what he was gonna do. That didn't pan out. So he did end up hunting. So the whole there's a whole new saga, Cody Puller saga starting to happen so that one's coming up too so with that I'm going to leave you guys if you guys have a a guest suggestion for me uh, let me know hit me up on the social medias um, if you have any topics you'd like me to cover in my rants let me know that as well and uh, yeah just or if anything go on the Full Scale Outdoors Facebook group page I haven't pimped that out in a while and uh turkey season's coming up post your turks see some big fans some big old spurs hooks as they be called um yeah just share that stuff it's kind of fun i like it or tag me in your own post or something so i can see it all good all good stuff man so all right thanks everybody for listening whatever your passion pursue it